Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, educate, teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CMC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. After a day where the averages got just crushed in the morning, and then bounced right back, Dow closing up 10 points. S&P declining just 0.20%. NASDAQ backsliding 0.13%. The conventional wisdom, well, once again, has turned bearish. All night I heard it. All morning. You keep hearing the same thing from these so-called experts. Why won't this darn market stay down? Where's all this money coming from? Don't people realize the earnings are going to be down this year versus last? Oh, that's a negative litany I hear pretty much everywhere I go, even out there in Colorado for that fabulous show with the U.S. Air Force Academy. People are still betting on recession. They think this is merely a Fed-mandated bubble and the buyers are going to get crushed and that I am way too positive. But every day something happens that contradicts the bearish narrative. And while these commentators just don't get it, I do. And it's hard. I admit it. The permanent pessimists are looking at all the wrong things, though. That's why they keep missing the mark. I need you to understand where they're going wrong so you don't make the same mistake yourself. And believe me, I suffer from it. So I'm going to walk you through some individual stocks that I got wrong, okay? Exhibit A, HP Inc. Not that long ago, HP reported an okay number. Not great, just okay. And its beloved CEO, Dion Weasler, stepped down for family health reasons. Bad. Enrique Loris took his place and immediately announced 9,000 layoffs to boost profitability. Now, before that plan was announced, the stock of HP had had a real tough summer. It was at 21, and it sank to 16. Since then, it started creeping back up to 17. But I couldn't think of a reason why you would buy buy a company like this with a faltering printing business. It missed last quarter where they had to lay off all these people and Dion's not running it. Well, apparently Xerox had more imagination than I did because they decided to make a bid for HP, even though HP is about three times the size. Xerox can't really afford to buy HP, but HP has the money to buy Xerox if it comes to that. The details of any potential deal don't matter, though. The most important thing is that HP has gone from ugly duckling to beautiful swan on the strength of what may be a chimerical takeover bid. In other words, you made a fortune if you believed in HP when you really shouldn't have believed in HP. Because who the heck would have thought that a much smaller company would try to acquire them and would take it seriously? Now the stock's at 19 and change. Deal or no deal, HP stock has got its groove back. Exhibit B, Walgreens Boots Alliance. Last week, we started hearing rumors that the drugstore chain might be a leveraged buyout target. I mean, come on. I mean, this morning, though, hey, Bloomberg reported that KKR, totally legitimate firm, very interested in taking Walgreens private. Stock surged 5%. I want that 5%. Now, to me, this idea seems patently absurd. Walgreens has a bloated balance sheet, roughly $16 billion in debt. It's been doing quite poorly versus Amazon, which is really the front of the store, and that's the Death Star against, against Walgreens. Uh, and that used to be what their bread and butter was. It's steadily declining. Same-store sales worry me. 
Walgreens has been a terrible stock because it has nothing special, not cheaper drugs, not health insurance business like CVS, which put Aetna, by the way, not terrific merchandising that flies off the shelves when you walk in. In other words, here's what I think of when I think of Walgreens. (laughs) It's been a total dog. I couldn't think of a reason in heck to own this darn thing. But apparently KKR, really smart guys, sees things differently. And unlike me, KKR is a gigantic, multi-billion-dollar leverage buyout firm. Maybe they see what Walgreens can become. At this point, it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter what I think about how crummy the business is. What matters is there's a potential acquirer who believes in it. So, bears, it doesn't matter. Exhibit C, Apple. At least I got this one right. We know that the new iPhone 11 was widely considered to be no more than a placeholder. Yeah, something between the 10 and the uh, uh, 5G. Hardly anyone on Wall Street expected this thing to be a big seller. I mean, after all, why would anyone upgrade with 5G right around the corner? Was I a stupid guy? No, I had to. I dropped my phone. I was in Mexico. The glass splinter actually got a splinter from the glass. I got to fix this thing. Uh, so I went to get a new one at that brand new store at 59th Street and 5th Avenue that we went to for a segment. And I had to wait for ages to get a salesperson because there were too many. The line was too long. Even so, all I wanted to do, as I said to the salesperson, was I'd like to give you $1,000. I mean, you know, I'm walking around and said, can I give you $1,000? How about you? I'd like to give you $1,000 because I needed a phone and I just gotten glass splitters. Okay? Well, it turns out no one wanted my 1000 I mean, unbelievable. It's like, hey, I want a 1000 here. I got a 1000 Hey, who was? But someone finally wanted my 1000 Matter of fact, they wanted 1200 because I got that Apple Cares thing like I care. You know, I guess I care because I bought it. But anyway, it turns out it's worth every penny. First, the battery never runs out. I mean, I had the flashlight on all last night. My wife said, what is that? I said, I don't know. But it was all last night. The battery wasn't even, it didn't even dent the battery. I mean, I don't, even, I, I don't think about the battery. Remember, we used to think about the battery all the time. I don't think about the battery anymore. I, 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 I never thought that would happen. Second, I thought I would, uh, wouldn't need the three uh, camera feature. What I didn't realize is that there are a lot of pictures that I never even bothered to take because they sucked. I'm allowed to say that, by the way, because Elizabeth Warren used that word, and so did my buddy pal friend Mark Zuckerberg. Not. Anyway, um, when I'm out with my friends, guess what happens? They all look at everybody's phone. They say, hey, Kramer's got the 11. I want the pictures taken by Kramer's $1,000 phone. Yeah. Third, I love the easy, you know, no more button at the bottom. I never got that. I mean, it just, like, looked like this. And then here's the, this is something I really like. Flashlight. On. I never understood that other thing, swiping up and, you know, just dang it. You know what I mean? And obviously, I'm not alone. The iPhone 11's a massive worldwide hit. Massive! Component makers that were hunkering down, waiting for 5G orders, are now going into overdrive to meet demand. It's a bonanza from Micron. Stock was down today. Broadcom, Skyworks, Marvell Tech, my fave. This whole semiconductor complex, which was supposed to be in a huge downturn, is now climbing. Corva, what a quarter! And the negative analysts are all trying to catch up because they didn't see this coming either. They didn't see it coming. Exhibit the Boeing. I mean, come on. The troubled aerospace titan put out, out a timeline today for the return of the 737 MAX. I got it. I said, ah, I don't know. People believe that. They believed it. It was enough to spark a huge rally in the stock. It went up 4.5%. I saw it. I said, ah, okay. Nope. Market loved it. The stock's up 14, almost 14% for the year. Boeing. Now, given all the negative headlines, you expect it to be down 14%. When you're up, or down 40%. Nope. Up 14 See? 
This guy doesn't know what he's doing. Last week, I hurt my hand hitting him. I'm not going to do that again. So are there too many believers in Boeing? Is it unfair that the stock's so high? Unfair. I keep hearing it was unfair. You know, that's laughable. Fairness has nothing to do with this business. The stock is up because there are more buyers than sellers. End of story. There's such a thing as believe, and regardless of the headlines, the buyers believe in Boeing. All right, I'm going to give you one more. I got tons. I'm going to give you one more, okay? General Electric. For years, GE was a black hole of the hideous balance sheet that cost investors a fortune. When the stock hit seven back in August, I kept thinking, well, here we go again. It's going to test the $6 floor from last year. Uh, and it won't hold. The person I trust most in GE, Steve Tusa from J.P. Morgan, remained negative. But the stock didn't get there. Instead, new CEO Larry Culp raised guidance in that last quarter. The black hole is clearly no more, and the stock has caught fire, rising from $9 to $11 and change in about two weeks. Do I wish I caught the 7 to 11 move for you? Of course. Did I? No. Too bearish. Will GE have a big year in 2020? I don't, I, I don't see how. Can J.P. Morgan's Tusa be that wrong? But then again, I didn't see how HP would do it, or Walgreens would do it, or maybe I saw Apple, but Boeing? I mean... Here's the bottom line. This market just keeps surprising us with companies that are doing better than anyone could have imagined, or at least their stocks were cheaper than we thought. And that's the biggest reason why the bulls are running circles around this guy. Ed in New York. Ed! Jim, good afternoon. I want to thank you for taking my call on Mm -hmm. Veterans Day. I appreciate you spending a part of my holiday with you, a veteran of the Wall Street Wars. Uh, hey, you, those, those guys are real vets. Me, I'm a pencil pusher, but I'm happy to be conflated. What's up? Well, this vet is happy to talk to you on Veterans Day. And I really have been riding Etsy from 27 up to 71 and now down in 40. I listened to the last conference call. Everything sounded good except the behavior of the stock. Help me, Jim. I am with you, Ed. You know, I look, I went over that. Con- was the conference call perfect? No. Were there issues? I thought they were all explicable. I really think this stock should be bought. It has fallen on hard times along with a lot of others, and I think it's a mistake. I am with Etsy, and I'm with you for serving. Thank you. Let's go to Randy in New Jersey. Randy. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. I wanted to call and ask you about Chipotle. I did exactly what you said not to do. I bought on the earnings right after they reported the earnings uh, when it was skyrocketing before the end of the conference call, before they were talking about the risks. So my cost base is about 835. I am down thousands of dollars today. Okay. Close at 743. And I want to know if I should sell. No, 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 no. Randy, look, you're you're absolutely fine. You're absolutely fine. As a matter of fact, we had Chipotle today for, I guess it was for Dylan's birthday. Happy birthday, Dylan. And uh, don't worry about it. Here's the thing. The stock went up on a spike. Then the whole group came down because of some confusion uh, involving uh, delivery. And what really matters right here, right now, is that Chipotle's a buy. And I think you should be a buyer, not a holder, not a seller, but a buyer of CMG. And by the way, that burrito, whoever got that, I don't know who ordered that for me today. That was, that, Marie, perhaps? That was dynamite. Dylan, happy birthday. Companies are doing better than anyone thought they could, or at least their stocks are. These aren't supposed to be going higher. All right, well, that's what I'm trying to explain to you about how the bears, the wind's coming out of their sails. Hey, I'm mad tonight. He's one of the few people that said the stock market was poised to roar higher in August. You have got to hear what legendary trader Larry Williams predicts about the future. And instead of regulating CEO salaries like Senator Warren's proposing, I got another idea. 
You're not going to want to miss my take on this little contrarian. But first, I'm setting sail. Coming to you from the brand new Norwegian Cruise Line Encore, where we're sitting down with CEO Frank Del Rio. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com WEC. When the travel bug bites, everyone wants a vacation to be fun and affordable. When snowbirds flee the winter and families set sail for the summer, should investors say, welcome aboard to Norwegian? Is that electronic music? Hey, have I been too negative on the cruise lines? This whole group has been hammered. Top dog carnival down more than 9% for the year. But some of these stocks are holding up a lot better than others. Look at Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings, smallest of the big three cruise plays with the fastest growth rate. While it's down substantially from its highs earlier this year, the stock is still up 23% for 2019. Not too shabby. Oh, and last Thursday, Norwegian reported an impressive quarter, solidly better than expected, despite a lot of uncontrollable things. It brought things that a little bit less than I would have liked, but it didn't matter because the forecast was robust and the bookings are amazing. How they do it? Okay, earlier today, we had a chance to speak with Frank Del Rio. Boy, is he fantastic. He's the president and CEO of Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings on its newest ship, the Encore, which just arrived in New York for the first time yesterday. Take a look. Frank, done it again. This may be the most gorgeous ship I've been on. Tell me about it. Welcome aboard. Well, Thank this you. is the new Norwegian Encore, uh, fresh out of the factory. I arrived in New York last night, all 170,000 tons of her. 4,000 packs capacity. She's filled to the brim with happy customers. And uh, we're just excited to be here with you today in beautiful New York City. Well, I want to tell you that we met earlier last year and you made a series of predictions. You said that there will be no recession. You said consumer spending will be good. You said that people will be happy and you'd have a lot of bookings, even though everyone was talking about overcapacity. Every one of those things you said came true. Every one. How did you know? The numbers. Um, you know, I've, I've said, and I, I think I've told you this several times, Jim, that the economist, uh, the, the government, uh, the uh, investor group should take a look uh, at, the, at the cruise industry as a leading economic indicator. Customers today are buying cruises eight, nine, ten months into the future. We know what's going to happen. And we also know that those who booked eight or nine months ago and are on board today, they're spending money like there's no tomorrow. So the, ha- the customer, especially the North American consumer, is alive and well, spending money, and there's no one in sight. You talk about the trifecta of what's occurred. None of those things people thought could occur. Give me those numbers. Well, the highest... Uh, uh, revenue in our history in the third quarter, the highest net uh, yield in our history. We broke $300. First time any of the major cruise lines broke $300. And our booking window is farther out than ever before. It expanded by 10% over the same quarter last year. 
even though there's an 8.7% increase in capacity, much more than people thought. That's right. And it turned out to not be the relevant metric, just as you told me it wouldn't be. It's a, such an underpenetrated industry. Less than 2% of the world's vacationers have ever taken a cruise. Jim, there are more hotel rooms in Las Vegas and in Orlando combined than there are cabins in the world's entire fleet of ships. So we are under uh, penetrated. Uh, we need more capacity, and that's why I'm so glad that we're able to uh, take delivery of this beautiful new ship. Some of the things that uh, distinguish you from the others, and you are very much distinguished in terms of just the stock, not just the stock price, but your cash flow, exotic destinations. You do a lot of planning to places nobody else goes. Well, I, I think a lot of uh, other cruise lines go where we go uh, as well, but uh, we perhaps market uh, them better than others. Um, our past guests are very engaged with our brands. We have some brands that over 60% of the folks on board are, are past uh, cruisers. Uh, on this vessel, for the first three or four months, nearly 40% are, are repeaters. So they like the brand, they like our services on board, and they want us to take them to places all around the world. Well, one of the things I like about you is the way you report your numbers. Uh, you are the most transparent. We were all going over and just marveling. You ticked them down before you got to the good part. You had Cuba. What a hit. You had Norwegian Pearl, a technical issue, seven cents. Cuba, 22 cents. And then you talked Dorian, you, yeah. uh, six cents. You broke all these down. And the one that really stuck out for me was this very quick shift in policy about Cuba. Yeah. Well, it came sudden. Um, we had all of 14 hours to uh, get out of Cuba. I had a ship in Havana the day the, the ruling came down, and we had to hustle out of there by midnight or also be in violation. But that was a, a big deal. If you recall, uh, several uh, quarters ago when I was on your show, we talked about how Cuba was a big moneymaker. Sure. Americans were willing to pay more than double to go to uh, on a cruise that included Havana versus one that didn't include Havana. And 4% of our capacity was dedicated to Cuba. So when it happened, uh, it was a blow, but we were able to uh, hustle and overcome those challenges. And it's one, one of the reasons why our numbers were as good as they were in, in the third quarter. Well, you certainly uh, kind of blew me away. I would have thought you couldn't do these kinds of numbers. You're also doing some things that don't you get, get enough credit. You've got in your hand a, something that could make an actual difference to the environment. Yeah. It's not greenwash. The numbers are quite incredible what you're going to do versus plastic. Well, we just uh, announced a uh, partnership with Just Goods um, that uh, uh, replaces over 6 million plastic water bottles across the Norwegian brand. We're doing it as well on the Ocean and Region brands uh, with Vera Water. So, yes, we're taking the, the, the issue of the environment seriously. We ply the ocean's waters. Uh, we do everything we possibly can through technology, through policy procedure, to prevent any kind of pollution in the, uh, in the water or in the air. You also don't get enough credit, I think, for you fix ports. You actually create jobs all yeah. over in the West, Seattle, Alaska. This is something that you just do. It's good investment for you, good return on investment. Uh, it is. You know, the... Um, the cruise industry, the wars have always been fought on ships. Right. It's now extending to land. As we build more and more ships, we got to go somewhere. Right. And so the, sometimes the, uh, the local governments uh, don't uh, build the infrastructure as quickly as we need some. So, so now the cruise lines are taking that responsibility. We're investing in three different projects in Alaska, in Juneau, in Huna, in Icy Strait Point, um, in, uh, in uh, Skagway. Uh, and you mentioned Seattle. Seattle. You know, Alaska now has become a six-month high-yielding uh, product. It used to be a specialty two or three months a year. It's not that anymore with these big vessels going there. Uh, we, the season now starts in April. It ends in October. 
And uh, we're taking a leadership role in that area. Well, let, let's talk about the amount of cash flow that you generate, because yeah. I know that the trips all return. You're a very pro shareholder. You have been delevering. You bought back a huge amount of stock. I think that may be instrumental in why your, your company's outperforming the industry. Well, we do generate a lot of cash, primarily because we have the highest net yields in the industry by a wide margin. We generate more EBITDA per capacity day mm -hmm. than our competitors by even a wider margin. So all of that cash uh, is something that we have to deal with. And so, yes, we've bought over a billion dollars worth of our own shares in the last 12 months, 9% of our float. We've delevered down to the right. low threes and we'll deliver to the mid to high twos by the end of 20. Um, and, and so the, the, it continues. Uh, cash generation is a one of the feathers in our cap. Certainly. All right, last question. This ship will be, I presume, filled up, maiden, maiden voyage, but actually probably even six months from now you might know it's filled up. Um, I will tell you that this vessel six months from now is already 60%, 70% sold. So the kind of, you talk about predictions, it's right. not that I'm uh, Karnak. No. Um, <laughs> it's that I know the numbers, right. uh, and I and we see them, and they're great. Well, you are great. And congratulations on making exceeding every promise that you made to us at a time when people were very doubtful. But you weren't doubtful; you believed, and I still do. Okay, thank you to Frank Del Rio, he's president CEO of Norwegian Cruise Holdings. What a stock! And I got to tell you, I am just in awe of what you've done versus the rest of the industry. Thank you, Jim. When the market gets too emotional, you need to do everything you can to cordon off that whole part of your brain. Because your gut feelings rarely give you good investment advice. Over the summer, there was a widespread sense of panic that threw a lot of people off the scent. You had a lot of these chicken little squawking that the sky was falling. I tell you that the inverted yield curve meant that we had to have a recession, and therefore the averages had to go much lower. Turns out, they were dead wrong. The Fed cut interest rates, the yield curve uninverted, and the stock market roared higher. They don't, they're not, they don't talk about that much anymore, do they? At the time, I told you not to take the bears too seriously because they were ignoring everything that was going right with the economy. But it can be hard to make those judgments when so many experts are telling you to be afraid, be very afraid. That's why I always like to tell you to check your emotions at the door. When that gets difficult, when the sense of doom and gloom is just too palpable, too overwhelming, you should fall back on something maybe more objective, more quantitative approach. Uh, that's where the charts come in. Now, I myself... As you know, I'm not a huge believer in the charts. Uh, I think that they are very important. They're Wall Street speak for looking at the action to predict where security might be headed. I prefer to stick with the fundamentals, doing homework on how businesses are doing, and then figuring out what that means for their stocks. But fundamental analysis requires a lot of judgment calls. And when you're constantly being bombarded by big-picture worries, as you know we are every day, the yield curve, the trade war, the Fed, well, it messes with your judgment, doesn't it? The charts... They don't have any feelings for any of that stuff. They're much less subjective. subjective. And that's why we run an off-the-chart segment every week. During the big sell-off over the summer, we checked in with a fellow by the name of Larry Williams. He's a legendary technician who's been trading futures, commodities, and stocks for nearly as long as I've been alive. Williams is an industry legend, a titan. He's written almost a dozen books. He's got his own website, IReallyTrade.com, and he's created a legion of technical indicators that have been adopted by pretty much every chartist under the sun, like the Williams Percentage R Oscillator that tells you when a stock is overbought or oversold. We use that all the time. That's him. In late August, Williams made a bold contrarian call. He told us we need to stop worrying and learn to love the stock market. 
because the negativity had run its course and the averages were ready to roar. Since then, the S&P 500 has rallied a quick 7.3%. That's a phenomenal move and a great call by Larry. So where do we go next? Well, Larry checked in with us and take a look at this. Let's start with two tools that let him call the bottom in August. First, check out this chart of the CBOE Volatility Index. That's the VIX for short, which is also known as the fear gauge because it reflects the level of panic in the market. That's why the VIX and the S&P 500 tend to move in opposite directions. Now, Williams believes that there's a cycle to volatility. And he tries to predict that cycle based on the VIX's past behavior. You can see his forecast in red on the chart, okay? Uh, And remember, he nailed it with his forecast last time. How about right now? Based on the cycle, Williams is expecting a sustained upturn in the volatility index right around the end of the year. All the way here, okay? Uh, But until then, he thinks it will head lower, which means that the stock market should continue to climb, okay? That's what he's saying that should happen. Now, there's, a, there's an advanced decline line uh, that he also cares about, and that measures the net sum of advancing stocks minus declining stocks, New York Stock Exchange, on any given day. The number that goes up versus the uh, number that go down. Williams has been following this indicator, get this, since 1962. Because it sidesteps irrational price swings, giving you a clear uh, view of the market's breadth. When I say it sidesteps, what it means is to smooth things over so you don't have any outliers that are distorting things. When it rises, that means you've got a healthy market with lots of winners. When it fails and goes down, it means you've got a lot of losers. Just uh, like with the VIX, Williams looks at the past action and comes up with a forecast to figure out where it's headed. And in the case of the advanced decline line, his forecast predicts a major uptick starting right about now, just like we saw in late August. That's very, very bullish. So in other words, advanced decline line, cycle forecast, moving up, okay? That's a be a nice move to catch. Now, I want you to take a look at the daily chart of the E-mini S&P 500 futures. Uh, which closely track the underlying index. Even though the S&P has been on a tear and it's technically in overbought territory, Williams sees a cycle here that's about to turn even more bullish. Now, these forecasts don't tell you the magnitude of a given move. They only predict its direction. But right now, his forecast for the S&P is screaming that we're about to go higher still. It's really, doesn't this dovetail with what I said at the top of the show? Right. I mean, kind of pretty fascinating, isn't it? So now I'll talk about individual stocks, because this also dovetails with where I am. First, let's check out a stock that my travel trust is owned forever. Let's check out Home Depot. All right. Now, uh, Williams likes the action here. First, the stock benefits from a bullish seasonal pattern. The blue line. okay, there's bullish. This is how it's looked before. uh, Typically causes retailers to rally going into Christmas. He points out that Home Depot has been outperforming the usual seasonal expectation, which suggests that the stock will really go into gear once that pattern turns extra positive in in a few weeks. Second, there's this thing that he developed to find out what professionals are doing and predict it. It's called the Williams Kotsi, C-O-T-S-I. It's one of his proprietary tools that helps detect whether big institutional money managers are buying or selling. Lately, they've been buying Home Depot, and they've been buying a hand over fist, and that's a very good sign. He thinks it's exactly the kind of stock that could work through the end of the year. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Home Depot long term. I got a conference call on Wednesday, and I was thinking, oh, do we have to sell some Home Depot for my trust? I trust Larry Williams so much, the answer is going to be no. Next up, there's Walmart. Now, this stock's been an excellent performer here. Williams calls it the mother seasonal strength of the retail cohort. Meanwhile, the professionals just started buying it aggressively a few weeks ago. To get in ahead of the holiday shopping spree, Williams is betting there's a lot more upside. I am with him, although I didn't, you know, here we go, okay? 
professional buying. I didn't think this was as strong as Home Depot, but I'm not going to go against them. Finally, how about this one? Somebody, a lot of people feel that this is so simple to do, and yet it's been wrong for so long. I don't think it's going to be this time. It's a little bit United Parcel. Somebody has to deliver all those packages, right, that you order online. Nobody does it better than UPS. Whenever the retailers have a strong Christmas, that tends to spill over into the ancillary place like this one. Wow, this is good. This could be big. And that's why the seasonal pattern UPS is so strong. Based on this pattern, Williams believes it's got more room to run. Now, if you remember, the stock got hit, okay, when it reported. I came out of here and said that was wrong. It shouldn't have got hit. It should be going higher. That's what it's doing. And I think it goes higher still. Bottom line, in late August, when so many commentators were freaking out, coming on air, telling you how scary it is, the legendary Larry Williams told us the negativity was peaking and the stock market was poised to go higher. Well, guess what? He nailed it. So when he tells us the average can keep running through the end of the year, along with Home Depot, Walmart, and UPS, you better take him seriously. Nick in Florida. Nick! Back in Booyah land with the Wizard of Booyah. Well, okay, we're not in Kansas anymore. What's up? Jim, recently Rite Aid had an enormous run-up. Now that WBA is thinking of going private, is it good to buy Rite Aid in hopes that it will get approached to? No. No. Um, uh, while the balance sheet for uh, for Walgreens is suboptimal, $16 billion in debt, the balance sheet from Rite Aid is just horrendous. No one's going to load it anymore, and we're dead on that one. So I'm going to say you should not be in that stock. Do not be in that stock. Okay, let's go to Jim in New York. Jim. Oh, darn it, we're out of time. All right. Our chartist thinks the averages can keep running through the end of the year, along with Home Depot, Walmart, and UPS. I recommend taking him seriously. Okay, much more made money. J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon made $31 million this year. Got a problem with that? I'll tell you who to take it up with. Then, it's one of the biggest names in helping biotech launch game-changing drugs. But can Charles River Labs give your portfolio a healthy boost in an uncertain market? And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. The board, the board, it's always the board. Every time some CEO is asked about their gigantic pay package, they tell you, well, they're getting paid by an independent board. Take it up with them. Last time we heard it from Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, on 60 Minutes. Two weeks ago, we heard it from Boeing's Dennis Molenberg at his appearance in front of Congress. But you never hear how it actually works, because when you know how the sausage gets made, it does seem pretty egregious. Consider the $31 million, uh, said Jamie Dimon, made uh, last year. Uh, obviously, far more than J.P. Morgan's bank tellers, or loan executives, or back-office factotums. Having been on a public board, I know the score. The compensation committee is made up of well-meaning people who feel like they need to reward the CEO for a job well done. They don't want the CEO leaving or retiring, especially when they got a guy like Jamie Dimon, who's the best in the industry. The compensation committee often relies on outside consultants to ensure that they get the right salary and bonus versus their peers. And that's how you end up with these pay packages that keep going higher and higher, while wages from normal workers pretty much stagnate. Why is this such an important issue right now? Because income inequality keeps getting worse in this country. That's why Senator Elizabeth Warren, the Democratic frontrunner, wants to turn back the clock to a time when executives didn't have such huge pay packages. Her plan is to create an office of United States corporations in the Commerce Department that would force any business with more than a billion in sales to obtain a federal charter of corporate citizenship. And if you want one of these charters, 40% of your board of directors would need to be composed of workers. Would Warren's plan work? Well, look, if your goal is smaller pay packages for CEOs, sure. I mean, I think you get the job done. 
But that kind of heavy-handed regulation seems wrongheaded to this guy. Why? Because the CEO works for the shareholders. If you want to judge whether CEO's pay package was excessive, you need to look at how the shareholders have done. When it comes to J.P. Morgan, Jamie Dimon has crushed it versus the competition. The way I see it, you need to look at CEOs like they're great athletes. Any major bank in the world would happily top Jamie's pay package if they thought that they could lure him away. He's given his shareholders a roughly 365% total return since he took over in 2005. If he were a free agent, he'd be making a heck of a lot more than he's making now. How about Dennis Mullenberg at Boeing? Very different. First, when he was asked by Congress about how he would take his pay package, given the 737 MAX catastrophe, uh, he also said it was up to the board. Then after some soul-searching, he asked the board to waive his bonus. That was the right thing to do. Again, though, when you look at Boeing's surprisingly strong performance this year, I'm talking about the stock, I think he's actually doing a good job, all things considered, especially if he gets those planes in the air safely in the timeline disclosed today that I talked about at the top of the show. Now, don't get me wrong. Income inequality is a real problem in this country. There's a reason Elizabeth Warren is the Democratic frontrunner. But the problem is not CEO pay. I think it may be everybody else's pay. Maybe we should consider higher taxes on the rich or a higher minimum wage, or maybe we go full board George McGovern with a universal basic income. I don't know the right answer. And some of that stuff is pretty extreme. But I do think that there are better approaches that don't upend our system of free enterprise, which, last I looked, is a heck of a lot better than every other country's set. Welcome to the United States Air Force Academy. Yeah, Jim. My name is Xavier Brezniak. I'm from Hanover, Pennsylvania. I'm a huge fan of your show. Uh, I just love it. Hey, Jim. Big fan. Thank you to you and CNBC, and thanks to, uh, to the Air Force Academy for hosting us today. Well, we salute the brave men and women in the armed forces who protect our country. Well, still on a high from that great show. Thank you, Regina Gilgan, to all our team, because it was just extraordinary to go to the U.S. Air Force Academy. And now it is time. It's time for the and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dang over the Delaware. Richie. Booyah, Jim. Richie, the mayor from Delaware. I want to know what's going on with CRISPR since the Netflix special. C-P-C-R-S-P, CRISPR. Oh, CRISPR? Everybody likes CRISPR. I find it to be very risky. Um, I'm going to say that as long as you recognize it's a pure spec, I'm okay. But otherwise, no. Let's go to Jerry in Michigan. Jerry! Hi, Jim. I really enjoy your show. Thank you. Uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on near-term growth on uh, British uh, Petroleum as well. You know, my Chapel Trust owns it. I'm going to talk about it on my Wednesday conference call. I've been very disappointed in all fossil fuels. Even when they're doing well, it doesn't matter. And BP is doing very well. So I'm not going to let anybody else get into that chamber of, uh, let's just say, stay away. Let's not put it. I've got to deal with myself. I'm trying every day to think about it. Charity in Georgia. Charity. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm good. How about you? I'm well. First time stock buyer. Mom wants me to invest in cannabis. Is OGI a buy or not? No, we're not doing any cannabis. I mean, until we see uh, canopy bottom, this group is just, uh, it, it's just, it's like a Venus flytrap. I'm not letting you in it. Let's go to Kathy in Pennsylvania. Kathy. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. My question has to do with grocery outlets. 
When it went public in June at close to $28, I waited and I didn't buy. But when it hit 47 in August, I was kicking myself. I know it has a high PE, but right. I thought that was because a bunch of the initial offering money was being used to buy property for more stores and investment in current stores. But what are your well, Kathy, you don't have to worry about it because just report an unbelievable quarter. I've been watching this stock trade up for the last hour. I think it's terrific. I like grocery. I liked it before this quarter, and I like it again. Kirk in Maryland. Kirk. Wow. Greetings from Maryland, Kramer. My boys love the animal sounds on your buttons. Give me a bull or a bear on Eighth Street Bank. There you go. Thank you. All right. Go ahead. Hello. State Street? Oh, my. I, no, I want to own regular banks. I like J.P. Morgan. Hey, call me old-fashioned. I think Jamie's doing a good job. Let's go to Dino in Connecticut. Dino! Hey, big booyah to you, Jim, and a big booyah to our, our veterans, our military men and women, especially my son who just got back from his deployment. Wow. My question to you, my question to you, Jim, is Revolve Group. Is it a buy, hold, or sell? I don't understand. Look, this stock keeps going down. I just don't think it's that bad a company. This is all part of that whole new crop of IPOs that everybody hates, and I think they're throwing away the goop of the band. I like Revolve. I am alone, though, so remember, could be more pain. Let's go to Jeremy in Utah. Jeremy. Booyah, Jim, from the boys in the bullpen in Provo. Okay. Um, I'm just calling to wonder uh, uh, about your opinions on Dish Network. It's the streaming wars. Very, very smart management. Can't think of a reason for it to go up. Isn't that typical? At the top of the show, I talked about that. That's like what moves up. But I can't recommend it. I just can't because I don't like the balance sheet, and there's just too many things that have to go right. Carol in New York. Carol. Hey, Jim, I have a position in MKTX. Is it okay to start buying again here? I like that stock very much. It's a fintech stock. It's moved big, market access. We've been behind it forever, and we're not budging. We still like it. We're not done. We're going to go for one more. We're going for William in Florida. William! Jim, how's it going? Not bad, William. How about you? Good, good, good. Hey, thanks for all your help out here, oh, man. I have no idea when you sleep. Um... But I've been looking at Brookfield Infrastructure. Yeah. And i got to tell you, I think that you should just hold off. The stock has had a real big move. A lot of the other stocks, when they got the 3% on the yield, that's where they peaked out. I think that one could be peaking out, too. And that, ladies and conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. last month as the stock market has caught fire, we've seen some unlikely strength in the biotech space. Now, you often don't get the biotechs roaring at the same time as you get the industrials and the financials, but maybe they should never have been down so much in the first place. Still, if the biotech stocks are exploding higher, what does that mean for the more tangential plays? Uh, something like uh, Charles River Laboratories. It's a contract research organization that provides universities and biopharma companies with the tools they need to discover new drugs and conduct clinical trials right down to the purpose-bred lab rats used in safety studies. They're basically an arms dealer to the drug business. While Charles River's been a terrific long-term performer, more than doubling over the last five years, you know we like the stock. Stock's come under pressure of late since it peaked at 149 in April. It's fallen to 132 today. Latest setback, a weaker forecast than expected, given how flush the client base is. So what does this stock need to do to get back on track? Let's get a closer look 
with Jim Foster. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of Charles River Laboratories International. Been there a long time. Knows the business. Get a better sense of how this company's doing where it's headed. Mr. Foster, welcome back to Mad Money. Nice to be here, Jim. Okay, so Jim, you and I both know the industry is incredibly strong. So what I'm trying to do is say, you know what? This is my whole thesis when I was working on it this weekend. I got to get people into Charles River Labs when the stock is down while the business is great. But there is a bit of a disconnect. And the disconnect, frankly, I thought you explained well. But there is a disconnect between the forecast that you gave and what we thought you were going to do. So maybe you can just uh, throw some meat on those bones and then we can deal with how well things are. Sure. Um, yeah, our business is not linear. We talk about that all the time. Right. People don't start studies and stop studies uh, congruent with our fiscal quarters. But we're really thrilled with our long-term growth rates and our current growth rates. We've been growing at high single digits. We actually grew at high single digits in the uh, third quarter, almost 8%. Uh, We were pleased with that. Uh, We're we're quite pleased with our guidance that's out there for the year. And, in fact, we said that for the next couple of years, uh, two to five years, we'll grow the business at – high single digits, and we'll get our operating margins into the over 20%. So um, we're pleased with the demand curve. We're pleased with the performance of all three of our segments. And uh, frankly, I think that uh, our forecast was perhaps slightly a little optimistic. But uh, for the year, uh, we'll be in great shape. Okay, so let's talk about uh, what people then, some of the more critical analysts then indicate that perhaps there are indications of a slowdown, that biotech stock, biotech funding has peaked, that uh, it's downhill from here. You've got many years worth of biotech dollars in the system that need to get to Charles River in order to be able to get something to market, don't we? You know, the better the funding is, the more concerned people are about it for some reason. So this year, the funding is up dramatically. Uh, it'll, be co- it'll be comparable to last year, which was the second highest year in biotech funding history. We figure there's about three to four years of cash available to them from the capital markets. Probably the same amount of money flowing into biotech from the pharmaceutical companies as the biotech companies have become the discovery engines. So we have never seen a better demand curve, which is why we worked on 85% of the drugs that were approved last year, and which is why we continue to add to our portfolio through M&A to be a more expansive solution for our clients. So uh, biotech is strong. The majority of our revenue now is coming from biotech, both large and small. You you have to... uh it seems like expand pretty much everywhere you are. I noticed that Wayne, Pennsylvania got a big new facility. I, I didn't think that you would need that that quickly. Is that just to meet demand? Yeah, I mean, demand, demand, as I said, is very good. So we've been adding capacity across most of our businesses slightly ahead of when we need it. We obviously don't want to have too much capacity. By the same token, we want to have enough capacity to take on work when we get it. So we will do that at multiple sites. We're doing it at multiple sites this year, and we'll continue to do that in the future as well. There's an amazing moment in your conference call where uh, people are talking about the competition in China. Uh, and you say, first of all, we only have a 30 percent share. I thought that was funny because most people don't have 30 percent of anything. But that you say that the quality of the product from the competition is inferior. Now, I'm used to hearing that the Chinese are better at us and better than they are at everything. Uh, that we are, and that maybe that we are a second-class, uh, pitiful, helpless giant, and the Chinese know far more about everything. You know, the research model business is a very complex business. We've been doing it for over 70 years. Uh, people trivialize. Um, they think it's easy um, to produce research models. 
Um, there's an extraordinary amount of know-how, uh, genetic oversight, animal husbandry, and veterinary uh, medicine. So we've been able to apply our, our almost eight decades of know-how and really set the world standard. And if you want to do high-quality research anywhere in the world and have peer review um, success, you really want to use Charles River animals to, to discover and develop that drug. And so these mostly government companies have tried to, uh, tried to chase us, and they've just been simply unable to do it from a uh, biological point of view, and lots of them uh, have gone belly up. So we're going to continue to build new facilities and grow geographically throughout China, which is obviously a huge market, and pretty much set the standard of uh, excellence in that country um, so that new biotech companies and growing pharma companies will utilize our services. Well, well, next question. It looks like from right at the opening that you guys are talking about remarkable drugs that are to come, that we are about to enter a new era where it sounds like there's going to be a lot of illnesses that will be cured uh, using Charles River. I think this is one of the most extraordinary inflection points in the history of drug development. We have a whole bunch of new modalities from immunotherapies to cell and gene therapy, which is, is, which is the latest and greatest, monoclonal antibodies, messenger RNA, and we are both treating and curing diseases which used to be often fatal and often very, very serious. So it's a wonderful time to be servicing an industry which, with such high growth, and we have a whole host of clients that are utilizing uh, Charles River and I, and I believe we'll continue to do so. Well, thank you so much, Jim. It's always great to hear from you. Also, give me a lot of hope that things are better than we think. That's Jim Foster, Chairman, President, and CEO of Charles River Labs. You very rarely get a chance to buy the stock on the, uh, when it's down from the high. This is it. Stay okay. Nice comeback in tech once again, led by Apple. I think this stock is being revalued as a consumer packaged goods play. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.